The girl I'd been seeing suggested that for our third date, we take a bottle of wine, a laptop, and a scary movie to the most remote graveyard we could possibly find. As horror movie aficionados, we both felt jaded and immune to fear, so putting ourselves into the ideal situation for terror sounded like an exciting adventure. The proposed night came and she drove us an hour into the deep back country, heading for a graveyard that we'd found in an ancient public record, but which was not on any map. When we finally found its supposed location, we ended up having to park three miles away behind some large undergrowth. There had been no other place to turn off along the forested country road. The night air was cool, though, so the walk wasn't bad. We walked down a kind of raised edge of drift toward the unmarked graveyard, trying not to slip off into the pools of sludge and undergrowth on either side. The trees ringed in an open double hill that led up into the darkness, and the century-old gravestone sat about in silence. We set up our laptop on a blanket, unafraid, and started the movie. The atmosphere was powerfully creepy, but I still felt nothing. Until the unexpected happened. Less than ten minutes into the movie, we saw a pickup truck go by on the country road outside the graveyard. We could see its lights through the trees as it passed, the only vehicle we'd seen that night. We shrugged, thinking nothing of it, until it came back the other way. Its headlights were rather distinctive, so it was definitely the same truck. When it approached the dirt ridge to the graveyard, moving very slowly, I closed the laptop, and we froze as its headlights fell on us for a moment. The truck backed up, apparently turning around, and then proceeded to park right outside the entrance. We couldn't be sure if they'd seen us, and we certainly had no idea what they were doing. I suggested we pack up, and my date agreed. We had just gathered all our things when the truck went dark. We stood there in the pitch black for a few moments, confused. Who was in the truck? Had they seen us? Were they coming this way? There was no other way out of the graveyard. The hill was surrounded by what amounted to impassable swamp. I started imagining how we might escape through it regardless, but I realized that the attempt would make far too much noise. We'd never make it. We had no choice. Carrying our stuff, I grabbed her free hand with mine. We crept forward along the dirt ridge, wincing at every dried leaf that our shoes crumpled. I could see the truck's dark outline parked in our path, but I heard nothing. There was nothing else to do but creep past the truck, which we did slowly, one silent and carefully placed step at a time. I kept trying to discern shapes inside the truck, but saw nothing but darkness. I looked around constantly, but heard and saw nothing. Still, in the pitch black night, I could hardly see the girl I was with, let alone somebody creeping about or following us. We made it past the truck, but the lack of any incident only increased our fear. Where were the truck's occupants? What were they doing? They had to be out here somewhere. Meaning, we were out here in the middle of the night and nowhere playing a potentially deadly game of hide-and-seek. 
My heart pounded even harder as I led her down the road toward our car. Where the hell were they? We were maybe half a mile down the road when we heard a scream in the woods and a distant gunshot. In that moment, we both immediately realized what was happening. The truck's occupants hadn't been here for us at all. But they would never let us leave if they knew we were here. We both started running in total panic and actually made it another mile or two before we saw the truck's distinctive headlights coming up on us. I grabbed her, jumped off the road, and dove into the undergrowth and sludge between the trees. We peered through the bushes, waist-deep in mud, and watched the truck go by. To our horror, the truck began to slow. I just dropped the blanket. They'd seen it on the side of the road. The truck stopped there, only a few feet away, for what seemed like an hour. At any moment, I expected its occupants to get out and come for us. Instead, finally, amazingly, it pulled away and sped down the road. I tried to see its license plate, but couldn't see anything through the glare of its lights. When I was convinced it was gone, we slogged out and started walking toward our car again. It was then that I had a horrible thought. What if they'd found her car? What if they were waiting there? I talked it over with her, and we decided to find a good hiding spot in the muddy undergrowth and literally wait the entire night. We'd heard a gunshot. This was serious. Neither of our cell phones had reception. There was no choice. The hours passed, and the longer we felt safe, the sillier we started to think ourselves. There had to have been... Another explanation, right? Even if there was something horrible going on in the woods, the truck's occupants couldn't have found our car. Or even if they did, they wouldn't wait so long, would they? After two hours, we almost talked ourselves out of our cold, horrid hiding place until I heard a slight sound, like shifting gravel. I peered intensely at the road. It was the same truck. Lights off, engine off, rolling ever so slowly along in the night, waiting, looking, and listening for the fools that almost gave themselves up. It was noon the next day before we felt safe enough to leave our hiding spot and begin the confused and terrified walk back to civilization. Two months after our first visit to the ancient and forgotten graveyard, we decided to go back with a friend. She'd heard us talk about the first incident repeatedly and kept pushing us to take her there. By then, the night of terror sounded like a story that had happened to someone else, so we finally gave in and decided to drive out there. I was also a bit excited to explore that graveyard more, as it had an amazing, scary atmosphere. We also went prepared with flashlights and newer cell phones whose coverage for that area was verified. I was jaded when it came to fear, but I wasn't stupid. We also made sure to hide our car perfectly and to be observant on our walk down the old country road. It started raining on us, and the whole thing felt like a terrible idea, but we soon realized that the chances of seeing that same mysterious truck again were probably zero. 
When the chilly drizzle stopped, we started to feel much better, and the rest of the walk went quickly. All three of us stepped onto the dirt ridge that led toward the old graveyard. Our good cheer faded in favor of quiet apprehension. The place truly was terrifying, now that we could see more of it. The stars were out by then, and the trees were half bare with an oncoming autumn. A slight chill in the air made me shiver as we walked the long leaf-covered path, approaching the first hill. That hill's crest directly melded into the second and bigger hill, whose grassy paths ran up into darkness. The entire double hill was surrounded by huge skeletal trees whose leaves were almost entirely gone, and everything sat in stark and unmoving silence. Although we'd been drinking on the walk over, my girlfriend and I were quiet. Though that night seemed distant, we both vividly remembered the danger we'd been in last time we were here. But our friend had no such qualms. She stumbled around excitedly, looking at gravestones and shouting out her discoveries. The stones themselves were cracked and weathered, and most were impossible to read. We did locate one of the dates. The name had been scoured away, but the person had died in 1764. That surprised me, as I knew that meant the graveyard literally predated Ohio itself. I had expected the headstones to be from the Civil War era for some reason. Our friend picked up a broken piece of headstone and carried it over to us, joking about souvenirs. I shared a glance of discomfort with my girlfriend at this, but we all continued our exploration. We hiked up the larger hill, entering the dark shadows that the crown of trees hung over the older and seemingly sadder section of the graveyard. A distinct feeling of privacy and sorrow seemed built into the worn stone nubs and monoliths that represented long-forgotten loved ones. It was then that the three of us stopped simultaneously at the sight of something strikingly out of place. The graveyard stopped at the crest of the hill, where we were nearly at level with the tops of the more distant trees. But we could see down the slope, and almost hidden by the undergrowth, a small headstone set far apart from all the others. Immediately, our friend ran toward it, and we hurriedly followed her in apprehension. The lonely spot felt decidedly cut off from the graveyard, and even more alone if that was possible. The barely readable inscription had one letter remaining, M, and two dates, 1752 to 1759. The grave was for a young child. I began to feel strange, but I knew for certain that something was wrong when our friend laughed and looked down. She shone her flashlight on her discovery for us to see. A teddy bear, clean and in perfect condition. So much so that someone had to have placed it there recently. My thoughts immediately grew fearful. Why was this grave set so far apart? Who was this child that had died so tragically young? And most of all, who the hell was visiting this forgotten graveyard in the middle of nowhere to leave a toy at the headstone of a child that had died 300 years ago? I had no time to guess before our friend reached down, 
My girlfriend and I both shouted, but it was too late. She picked up the teddy bear. Immediately, a sharp blast of wind hit the surrounding trees all at once. Against the stark silence that we'd grown accustomed to, it sounded like an angry explosion. Our friends screamed, dropped the teddy bear, and ran. My girlfriend followed. The blasting wind and the skeletal trees grew in intensity as I turned to bolt with them, but I turned back just for a moment to replace the teddy bear in its spot. Our fearful flight turned to nervous laughter as we pelted back down the hill. As the wind continued to rise, we decided it was time to get back to the car before the oncoming storm clouds, sharp black against the stars, decided to drench us. I couldn't resist taking one look back up the hill as we traveled across the dirt ridge. And my eyes focused on something. A darker patch in the shaded sorrows we'd come from as if someone was standing there watching us leave. At first I actually smiled. I was a hardcore skeptic, but the thought that the unknown child's spirit might be watching us go and appreciating our visit was genuinely enticing. Still, I couldn't quite make it out, and I figured it was just a trick of the shadows. As we finally exited onto the country road, I looked back, and a darker patch between the gravestones on the first hill, much closer to us before, seemed to catch my eye. My smile faded, and I hurried the girls out of there. It was on the drive home that the fear really hit us prompted by something our friend told us. As it began to drizzle again, she suddenly insisted we pull over and immediately threw up out the opened car door. We asked her what was wrong, and it took a few minutes for her to tell us the horrible thing that had occurred to her. We'd been rained on only a few minutes before we got to the graveyard on foot. But the bear... The bear she picked up had been completely dry. Before we begin our final story, the author made note that there is a graphic depiction of suicide in this story. If it's something that you are uncomfortable listening to, or just don't feel like listening to, feel free to sit this one out. The timestamp to skip will be on the screen for the entirety of the story. They say that just before you die, your life flashes before your eyes. The life you have lived up until that point, filled with all your happiness and all your sorrows, all your good decisions, your bad decisions, your life from start to finish races through your mind in little more than a blink. There is very little, if any, actual proof that this happens. The reason there is no proof is that to truly know means that you would have to die. I've spent most of my life alone, struggling with depression. I've felt and watched as it slowly chews away at my psyche. Each new bout of sadness steals from me another little part of my soul, another little piece of myself lost into the ether. At my age of 33, 
I've seen many of my so-called friends come and go. Family members lost and gone with nobody bothering to tell me until months later when I've found out from a random comment on a social media platform that I mustered up the courage to check that day. That was the way I found out that my mother had died nearly two months prior. I never got any notice or calls from either of my two siblings or any of my relatives. To their defense, I will say they both apologized profusely, and each of them came to my little secluded country house to visit me. We all only lived within an hour of each other, and while they were over, we all had decided that we would spend a lot more time together. We agreed that we needed to strengthen our relationship and be there for each other much more than we had in the past, now that both of our parents were gone. Our father wasn't dead but had left us shortly after my younger brother was born, and we hadn't heard a word from him since. I'd gotten hopeful at the prospect of having my siblings become more a part of my life and help me to develop a support system to relieve me of some of the overwhelming depression I face so often. After that day, however, they never came back, never called, my little glimmer of hope that had been teased in front of me, the enticing shimmer of having help to pull me from my perpetual sadness, had been very quickly pulled from my sight. I lost my job shortly after, and my breaking point had finally been reached. My problems seemed completely in surmountable, and I felt like I truly had nothing left to give the world. <laughs> I sat there, tears in my eyes, staring down the barrel of a shotgun while I sat on my living room couch. I was convinced that nobody would even find me because nobody cared. For that reason... I never even bothered to write any notes to whoever might come upon me. I stuck my bare toe in the trigger guard and suddenly felt like I was no longer in my body. I hadn't moved, but I also no longer felt like my physical self. Suddenly everything felt like it was moving in slow motion. I heard the click of the gun, the explosion of the chamber. I watched as the pellets were suddenly uncased and rocketed through the barrel at me. I watched as my own blood and brain matter spattered across the walls, and I watched as little drips of blood began to run down. I could see as the particles of gray matter began to slide down the walls, resting softly on the floor. I watched as my body slowly slumped over on the couch, now lifeless and limp. I watched as the gun fell to the floor, slipping from my suddenly limp hands. The sensation of my physical body changing position and falling away from where my consciousness still sat was eerie at best. 
I sat for what felt like an eternity with my head turned, looking at my body, laying sideways on the couch. Both mine and my physical body's legs occupied the same space, still sitting on the couch, but as I sat up, looking around, the torso of my physical body lied limp across the couch. I finally stood up and turned, looking in nothing less of a complete state of shock as the horrid display I'd created. What felt like an endless epic passed as I stood horrified at the terrible decision I'd made. Only a few small chunks of brain tissue still slowly slid down the wall as the screen on my phone lit up as I sat on the coffee table in front of my body. It was a text from my sister. The small notification said that she was sorry for it being so long since we spent time together and that she loved me. She asked if I were busy and suggested that we go out and eat dinner together that night. completely unable to interact with my phone as a response. I could do nothing but cry as I stared at the message. I regretted my actions so tremendously and now could only wish that I had waited just a few more minutes. I told myself that her gesture and text would have completely changed my entire perspective and changed my mind. I was so angry at myself for being so impatient and so weak that I couldn't wait just a little bit longer. According to the screen on my phone, another hour passed before another text came through. And again, it was my sister letting me know that my brother had asked to join us for dinner and nearly begging me to respond to her so we could get plans finalized. I hated myself so much for not waiting and holding out a little longer at the sight of that message. Another half of an hour had passed before a third message appeared on my phone. I never left from where I was when I first stood up, feeling rooted and unable to move from that spot for hours. The third message just said that since I wasn't responding, that they would try again another time. As the sun set, that first night in the house got very dark since I was unable to interact with any of the switches and had no lights left on when I sat down to take my life. I still stood in my living room in my dark and silent house, unable to do anything but wander. I cried for hours at the sight of my own lifeless body lying on the couch and regretting my selfish decision with every fiber of my being. I tried making friends with the shadows, but with no lights on, there were no shadows to be cast around the house. Slowly, another few days passed by. More texts came in on my phone, which was more activity than I'd had in months. All the messages were from my siblings, asking if I'd been okay and trying to set up various activities for the three of us to do together. 
I could do nothing but just let the messages sit unread as my body began to rot and decay only three feet from my phone. I began to hear odd grumbles coming from the darkness that third night. It sounded like a deep, scratchy voice, but muffled so I couldn't make out the words. At first, I had been almost excited at the idea of someone to talk to, but that feeling quickly faded as soon as I noticed that it started repeating. As if it were some sort of demonic incantation, the same few phrases began to repeat over and over. I called out to whatever may be listening or speaking, desperate for some chance, any glimmer of hope, that whatever it was could take me back, let me change my mind, anything. Without pause, the voice continued for hours. Other voices joined in until it was a choir of deep, heavy phrases. With every new voice added, the words became clearer. And at last, I could tell that it was all in some ancient foreign language that I wouldn't even be able to identify. That's when I saw it for the first time. The first one, just a flicker out of the dark. The shadows of the night finally appeared because of a bright and full moon that night. It was small. Only about as tall as my knee, muscular but extremely thin and sinuous. Horns and spikes adorned its head and shoulders. Its long arms and short legs caused the creature's knuckles to drag along the ground as it ran between the shadows. Its skin was as black as midnight with hints of blood red at its joints. The creature's mouth was oversized, taking up nearly half of its smaller sized head. It had long, pointed ears, and I had no other way to describe it other than it looked like some sort of imp or demon. As soon as it reached the darkness of the next shadow, it melded with the blackness of the corner, and was gone. I began noticing them more and more as I walked around the house aimlessly. The satanic incantations got louder and louder, but the imps began to show themselves more and more, becoming less cautious and lingering amongst the moonlight for longer and longer each time. They seemed to be following me from room to room, and fear began to rise in my mind, curious about what they may want with me. The question of if they even could do anything to me in this out-of-body state that I was in. Just as that question flashed in my mind, a deep, billowing laugh boomed throughout the house, reverberating off the walls. The sinister chuckle sounded like it had come from some being with unfathomable size. For the rest of that night, I stood by a window just hoping that the light of the moon would keep the various demons from getting to me. I listened to the chanting all night as the volume rose and fell just before the first light of day peeked over the horizon I heard the deep massive voice for the second time your fear smells delicious as I watched the light begin to brighten the sky I saw a vehicle pull into the driveway It was my sister. 
She'd come to check on me since I hadn't responded to her or my brother and my phone had finally run out of all power two days before. She was about to walk in my house and see my body rotted and decayed, slumped over on the couch. She would see the gun lying on the floor, having slipped from my hands, and there was absolutely nothing I could do to stop her. I screamed and pleaded for her to stay out as I tried to hold the front door closed. No matter how hard I cried or loud I yelled, no sound echoed through the air. Her knocks grew louder and louder until she decided to just turn the handle and open the door. The door phased through me as it opened, as if I took up no more space than the air around me. Oh, Jesus, what the hell is that smell? It smells like... She said as she opened the door. I knew that if she would have finished her sentence that she had realized that the smell was rot. More specifically, the smell of rotting flesh. My rotting flesh. I watched as she called out to me while she rushed through my house. All I could do was follow her around, dreading the moment she moved into the living room. I felt nothing but pure shame for what I had done. It was every bit as horrible as I expected when she walked in. She turned at the corner, still covering her nose with her hands. I watched as her hands fell to her chest, and a scream erupted from her throat. She burst into tears and called my brother before calling the police. She screamed and cried from the doorway, refusing to enter the room where my rotted corpse lay on the couch. Her conversation with my brother was very ineffective through the sobs and anguish, but she was able to get out enough words to tell my brother to come to my house. Before she dialed the police, her knees gave way as she crumpled to the floor. My sister never stopped crying, even after my brother had shown up and walked into my house. He also began to cry, and my siblings held each other crying on the front steps until the police showed up. I hadn't realized how much of an effect my choice would have on the other people in my life, and the sight of them so devastated by me being gone only caused me to regret what I'd done so much more. The police did their best to take statements from my siblings as they attempted to speak through tears and sobs, and all I could do was stand and watch as the coroner picked my lifeless body off the couch and shove me into a bag to take me outside of the van. Everyone finally left just before the sun started going down that day. I stood in the living room, standing in silence and looking out over the blood stains covering the walls. I could see the dark brown stains on the couch where it was once the shiny, warm, crimson pools of blood where my body had been lying. My chest hurt worse than I could even imagine since my physical body was now gone, but I could feel everything. It 
seemed even worse than what I'd been in my body. Sinister laughs and grumbles began to emit from the darkness just as the sun dipped below the horizon. I had no idea what they could do. I had no idea what they could even do to me, but I could feel that they were after me for some reason. With each minute that passed, the imps got braver, leaving the shadows to taunt me for longer each time. The deep, booming voice erupted from time to time, speaking simple sentences, threats, and cryptic riddles that I swore were just to make me feel uncomfortable. I had no idea how malicious the voice was. Soon it'll be time. You're nearly ripe. The voice broke the eerie silence, causing me to jump out of fear. Who, who's there? What do, you, what do you want from me? I caught on to the darkness and that, that strange and sinister voice. Nothing but complete and utter silence responded to my question. Standing completely alone and surrounded by darkness with nothing but my own thoughts and regret to keep me company. The smell of the leftover rot from my corpse was vile, and I wish I could say I would be able to get used to it, but I never would. It lingered in the air as a constant painful reminder of my selfish decision on giving up on life. A few of the imps lurked among the shadows, skittered around the room, laughing and whispering to each other, far too quietly for me to be able to understand what it was they were saying. Suddenly a searing pain came from my leg and I looked down to see slashes in my ghostly form. An imp had just run past and drug its claws along my leg, tearing into me. There were so many questions that flew through my mind. The pain itself was intense and crippling, which led me to my biggest question. How could I, in this out-of-body state, feel any physical pain? In all honesty, it really didn't matter how. The fact was that I could, and it was very real and very vivid. A chorus of high-pitched laughter erupted from the darkened shadows of the room as I doubled over in pain. The cut was deep, but no blood poured from the wound. I screamed out in pain on my knees as another imp ran by and slashed across my chest, tearing another three very deep cuts. I could feel as the claws bounced and drug along the bones beneath my skin. The pain was so immense, but I couldn't even pass out due to being nothing more than a ghost at that point, forced to stay, tormented and tortured by these little demons. I lied on the floor, writhing in pain that never seemed to subside for the rest of the night, all while the little creatures howled and laughed at me from the dark corners of the room. Just before the sun broke the horizon in that perfect darkest before the dawn moment, the booming voice spoke one simple sentence, one that both confirmed my own thoughts and terrified me at what the meaning behind it was. Your choices bring only pain. Again, I cried out into the darkness, asking who was there and whose voice kept haunting me. No response came, and only left me wondering if 
It meant that my suicide only brought pain to my loved ones or that it meant that I would have nothing but endless pain. The cuts and gashes I'd already sustained didn't seem like any of the pain was subsiding even in the least. As the sun rose over the horizon into the dull blue sky, I forced myself to rise to my feet and began to walk toward the door. I had no desire to stay in that forsaken house anymore, and I thought that it might get me away from the imps and whatever else it was that had decided to hole up in what was now essentially just an abandoned house. I reached for the door and gripped the handle, but no matter how hard I turned my hand, the doorknob wouldn't budge. And then it hit me. A realization, a memory that explained why I couldn't turn the knob. My panic and frustration, my burning desire to get away from these painful demons and horrible thoughts brought on by this house, I'd forgotten that I no longer had the ability to interact with the world around me. I could only move within it. I couldn't flip on light switches, turn door handles, move objects, nothing. I was essentially trapped in my own mind and left with nothing except the despair and regret left behind by my poor choice. As I stood there at my door, letting the realization of being trapped in my house sink in, I was struck in the back of my other leg, causing me to come crashing to the ground. When I hit the ground, laughter from the imps erupted from behind furniture in the corners of the room that I couldn't see. Sinister, taunting phrases were barked at me by the creatures hidden amongst whatever shadows I could find in the daylight beaming through windows. All I could do was sit in pain, staring at the bloodstains on the wall as the day went on, wishing that I'd been able to grow numb to the pain or at least to the smell of the rot, but it never happened. Fear once again rose in my throat as the sun began to set at the end of the day and the shadows in the house grew bigger. I noticed that the imps would grow louder and more daring as the darkness flooded my house again. I did my best to stay inside whatever light remained, but eventually my country house was bathed in pure darkness. A cloud covered the sky that night that didn't even allow the moon to shine through the windows. I sat in the pitch black of the night, in pain and fearing for a life that I'd technically already given up. I had no idea that even after death I was able to still feel this much pain and suffering, but it was very much real. Just as the question of how it could be flashed in my mind, the grumbles from the small demons fell silent, and the deep booming voice of the entity I hadn't seen yet filled the air. The pain you have chosen will be eternal. You will forever know only pain amplified by the pain and suffering you have caused those around you. Who are you? What do you want from me? I cried out to the voice, doing my best to hold back the sadness in my voice. It only replied with a billowing sinister laugh with the added chorus of the small demons laughing along with. I suddenly felt claws touching my leg as I lied, crying out on the floor of my house. I kicked at the claws in the darkness and yelled out to whoever was touching me, Get back! Don't touch me! My cries were met with a growl just before I was attacked by numerous of the imps. Their claws pierced my body and they bit and scratched at my thigh until they tore and ripped my leg clear off my body. 
The rip of the flesh was excruciating and the imps howled as they left me lying there and ran off with my leg into the corners of the house. I was in so much terrifying pain that I wished I could pass out, but I was unable to due to my current state. After a few hours of nothing but seething pain and listening to the grumbles and laughter of the imps as they chewed on my leg, I tried to stand up on my one remaining one. As I hit the ground again, the rest of the creatures rushed me, cutting and biting at my body before ripping an arm from me. I could do nothing but twitch on the ground as if being in the middle of a grand mal seizure from pure agony. No blood poured from my wounds, only pain. The deep demonic voice boomed laughter throughout the night and only faded as the sun rose and the light began to pour in from the windows. All I could do was lay still, delirious from the pain. For how long I lay there, I wasn't sure. But I heard the front door open and my sister walked in, followed by my brother. After a few steps inside the house, they both broke into tears and held each other for a very long time, crying before my brother spoke. I know it's hard but we need to start going through his stuff and try to get some of these things sorted out. It smells like death in here. I'm not sure I'll be able to concentrate with all the memories flooding my mind. My sister replied to him through tears and broken words. The police took the body, but left the mess. We need to clean up first to get rid of the smell, said my brother. Wait, so you mean to tell me there's still blood and brains all over the wall and couch in the living room? My sister asked him. Sadly, yes. I'll do my best to clean that up if you want to stay out of that room. I think we should just move the couch out back and toss into the burn pile. It's less to clean, but I will need your help to move it. My sister nodded in agreement to help him move the couch, but broke into tears as she stepped into the living room of my house. Seeing them both crying and hurting so much filled my heart even more with regret and shame. Still in so much pain, I could do nothing but lie there in the corner and watch my family move the couch outside. It took a lot of breaks getting the couch out to stop and cry because my sister could barely handle the loss of me. I'm sorry. I'll take it all back. I yelled and repeated as loud as I could, but my words never translated into any audible noise that they could hear. Slowly a figure materialized standing next to me as I lied on the ground. It was the source of the booming voice I kept hearing. It was wearing a tattered cloak that was a black, so dark it seemed to absorb everything around it as if it were a cloth made from a black hole. Humanoid in shape and stance, there were long, bony spikes piercing the back of his cloak, coming from the creature's shoulders and down its back. Its oversized hood kept the creature's face veiled in darkness except for its long snout that protruded from the edges of the hood. The decrepit-looking mouth was filled with jagged and sharp teeth that looked randomly placed into the creature's jaws. A brown and 
bony hand extended past the edges of the cloak's long and flowing sleeves. Each bony digit ended in a yellow jagged and long talon that I would imagine only a large bird of prey having. Clutched in the creature's hand was a long and gnarled black staff made from some archaic wood from a tree that I was sure had most likely been extinct for eons. The beast stood watching silently next to me as I lay on the ground, missing two of my limbs and writhing in pain. My brother and sister, having finished moving the couch, gathered a bucket of bleach and other cleaning supplies and began to try and clean the bloodstains off the wall as best they could. I knew that the stains themselves would probably never go away, so I assumed that they were cleaning through tear-filled eyes to at least eliminate the smell of rot and decay that had infested the house. My siblings were only able to clean for a short while before my sister broke down and started both crying and yelling out, I can't do this anymore. Why did he do this? Why did he leave us like this? I have to get out of here, my sister said as she picked up the bucket of bleach and sent it crashing against the wall, splashing its contents everywhere. I wish I knew. I miss him too. Let's try to come back a different day. My brother responded as he helped my sister, who collapsed in tears in the doorway up and outside of their cars. Regret churned in my stomach, and my heart ached at the sight of my family crying so hard over me. Thoughts began to flood my mind of how I would never be able to see my siblings' kids again and how I selfishly taken their uncle from them. My train of thought was quickly derailed as the creature turned to face me. A thin forked tongue poked through his jagged teeth and his mouth opened slightly. He began to speak and I noticed that the words escaped his throat but his mouth never moved. The hood kept most of his face in darkness, and I found myself morbidly curious and hoping to be able to see his eyes, although that chance never revealed itself. Now you see the pain you burden others with. His words hit me hard because I finally knew what he meant. No sooner than the words escaped his throat did he slowly lean down to where I was lying. The hand not grasping the staff slowly reached out and watched and the talons on his fingers pressed into my stomach, tearing the flesh and wrapping around my intestines. The creature pulled my organs out and spread them on the floor near me as I screamed in pain. Feast, little ones. His last words before he faded into nothing. I didn't know... Which was worse, the intense pain I felt all over my body or the sight of all the imps chuckling to themselves as they crept toward me. They quickly descended upon me and began eating my intestines and fighting over who could get the next bite. I did my best to try and use my one arm and one leg to fend them off. However, it only seemed to anger them and they soon grabbed my remaining limbs and tore them violently from my torso. It was worse than any pain I could ever imagine, but no way to escape it, no way to pass out or fall unconscious because of how intense it was. There were no sedatives, no relief, just pure, unbridled pain. 
and I could do nothing about it as I was reduced to nothing but a screaming and crying torso. I laid there, crying and in more pain than any human should ever be in, while the small demonic creatures feasted on my limbs and organs. Awake and alert for every excruciating second as I watched them devour me alive. Once they finished consuming my limbs and organs, the creatures began to close in on me again. All I could do was scream as they began slashing and biting at what was left of me. As more of me was being bitten and ripped away, the large cloaked demon formed over me. Between the slashes, I watched as the spindly talon-adorned hand reached down and wrapped its cold fingers around my neck. The huge creature lifted my battered torso up to my throat effortlessly until our faces were within inches from each other. The creature's mouth opened wide as if it were about to take a bite out of my face and its long and forked tongue brushed up my cheek and he spoke again without moving his mouth. You will know... Only pain. His words echoed off the walls as they sounded. His mouth widened even further and I wished I could close my eyes to avoid watching as I was eaten but my eyelids had been torn and bitten off along with other scratches and bites all over my face. The demon pulled me in close and I could feel his long and jagged teeth begin to sink into me as he bit down over my head. I screamed out, truly confused that I could even experience any more pain than I was already in. Suddenly, as I was screaming, everything in my surroundings shifted and faded away and everything went black for a split second. My eyelids were back and as I opened my eyes with tears running down my face, I was looking down the barrel of a shotgun while sitting on my couch. Somehow, I was back to the moment just before I pulled the trigger. Fear flooded my body at the thought of having to go through all of that again, and I pushed the gun away, letting it fall to the ground. It took everything in me to finally catch my breath and calm my heart. I still had no real answers for what had just happened to me, but I did know that I wanted no part of it, whatever it was. I glanced down and noticed my phone sitting on the edge of the coffee table. Quickly, I reached out to grab it and call my brother or my sister, but just as I picked it up off the table, it chimed in my hand and the screen lit up. It was my sister, but instead of responding or even reading the message, I pressed the button to call her. Hey, Chris, how are you? Mike and I have been missing you. You want to get dinner tonight with us? We could, too, just like a sibling's outing. What do you think? She said, answering the phone. It took me a moment before I could gather the courage to tell her what I was screaming inside my skull for so long. I eventually burst into tears on the phone before I finally spoke. I love you so much, Amber, both you and Mike, but I paused to deal with another flood of tears before I could continue. I've been so sad and so depressed lately, I'm not doing very well. I need help. Okay, well, just sit tight. I'll head over there now and you, me, and Mike can all go out to dinner together later tonight. 
Sure enough, Amber pulled into my driveway, and to my surprise, Mike pulled in behind her very shortly after. She must have called him on her drive, and they both decided to come. I opened the door just as they reached the front porch, and they both greeted me with big and warm, loving hugs. We all got dinner that night, and it's been weekly tradition ever since. I see their families, their kids, a lot more often now, and have put in an effort to remain a part of their lives. I see a counselor regularly now, and I'm doing a lot better and feeling a lot happier lately. They say that just before you die, your entire life flashes before your eyes, but they're wrong. So very wrong. There is no sugar-coated, frosted, lining memory montage of all the times your grandmother kissed you or every moment you got embarrassed in class by a teacher. What you see in that split second, just before you die, is the torture and pain that goes on once you are dead. The hurt you cause others with your absence and the sadness that they feel when they miss you and you are gone. That is the life that flashes. 